So many people feel as though they are failing if they can't follow a strictly scheduled day, right? Where every block of their day is blocked in. And what I like about this approach to time blocking is it's kind to your future self. You're listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who want to escape the day-to-day grind while scaling their business to seven figures and beyond. And now, your hosts, Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. It's time for episode one of season two of the Visionary CEO Podcast. Do you, do you see what I did there, Jill? Did, did you get it? Yeah, I, I got it. it. It's a little blunt. <laughs> I mean, only because you know what I'm doing and you know the conversation that we just spent five minutes talking about which is how should we open up this episode and all we could think about is well the episode's about time what did you say like i could talk about the time it takes to brew a really good cup of coffee that was jill's suggestion well you gotta keep in mind that brewing coffee is an art and there are many variables and time is one of them okay so get on your soapbox for a moment or two here for all of those out there who are team jill and they're pro coffee give them your moment. The, the thing to keep in mind, right, with coffee is that when you're brewing coffee, there are at least, I think it's four variables that you have to keep in mind that's going to give you the perfect cup of coffee, no matter what method you use. It's your grind, the size of your grind, your dose, how much, basically the ratio of coffee to water that you have, right? The temperature of your water, yes, that is important. And the time that you spend actually doing the brewing process itself. And it's a delicate balance of actually all four of those depending on what your method is. So like, for example, a French press has a totally different method and timing and dosage as compared to a drip coffee. Yeah, and on that note, there's your coffee lesson for today. I Here I was thinking like, you know, and then you get your manual espresso press, like you've got, so then there's pressure and then, but that you've told me pressure is a combination of grind and time. And see, I, I listen on occasion when you talk about coffee, I just don't drink the stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, and you generally call it that smelly stuff. It's not quite as bad as some of the teas that you choose to drink. Hey. But <laughs> all right don't what, what's the say now that we're done pick on jill time <laughs> i was gonna say pick on jill time this was pick on brianne time brianne's the coffee mm. hater i feel like i'm gonna get more social media tags and i was trying to remember what what was the saying what did it used to be don't at me right don't at me all you coffee fans don't at me about my hatred for coffee i'm, I'm very <laughs> settled in my identity as a non-coffee drinker mm. <laughs> but we are going to be talking about time in this first episode of season two. And as we talked about in the teaser trailer for this season, we're really wanting to be focusing on practical examples of how you can address some of these problems, which are very real challenges faced by entrepreneurs who are growing businesses, especially rapidly growing businesses. And I would say that the number one challenge that people face when they come to us is time. Would, would you agree with that, Jill? Yeah, it's definitely one of the very top ones for sure. It's that case of coming in and this feeling of, I just, I don't have the time to do it all. There's too much to do. That sense of overwhelm that comes mm -hmm. with it, that kind of bogs everything down. It feels like you can't get done what you want to get done. And I think one of the biggest challenges with a lot of this, when we, we think about the work that we do with clients is that it takes work to fix 
these time issues, right? We just spent 10 episodes talking about the structures you need to put in place and how you should audit your offer and how you need to restructure your team and all these things. And those things take time. And if time is your problem and it takes time to find the solution, then you're gonna need something to get you past that hump so that you can even start to address the underlying structural problems. Yeah, exactly. I was actually just having this exact same conversation with another of our clients yesterday in a coaching call. And he mentioned it it feels like a chicken and an egg kind of situation where time is the problem, but he doesn't have the time to fix the time problem. And it's so fascinating coming in because that mindset, sorry, I know that you love that word, that that (laughs) mental structure that we have about time is so prevalent in today's society and how we're brought up and how we deal with time, that it's a hard one to work through. But when you figure out the little trick and the couple little things that we'll be talking about today and that we'll go into in the case study uh, on our next episode when we speak with one of our clients on this, is there's just a couple tricks that can just get inside and break you out of that spiral. And as soon as you do that, all of a sudden it becomes so much more manageable. And I think what you said there is really important, which is that we tell ourselves that it's a chicken and an egg, that I don't have time to make time, but that becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy because what happens then is we start falling into the traps which cause the problems. And I think what is that it's prioritization, it's chasing either after shiny objects or (laughs) putting out fires, it's two sides of the same coin, or task switching. Those are the three major things that contribute to this sense that there's not enough time. Yeah, absolutely. And I would honestly say that prioritization is the thing and the other two are like the subsets underneath prioritization because it all comes back to prioritization. And that's actually been one of the things that I often get the question from with our clients is how do I prioritize? Mm -hmm. What should I prioritize? especially if I'm not supposed to be doing the day-to-day implementer stuff, what am I supposed to be doing instead? And Mm -hmm. I've had this conversation many times where it's if you don't have something to fill your time with instead, you will default to your habits, which is for most of us being busy with essentially busy work. Yeah, exactly. And it makes total sense because that's how we started our business. We started our business as being the one doing all the work. And so if our default is anything, it's going to be going back to being at that grand level, at that implementer level and doing the work because that's what we're used to. And so really the question is, if you don't want to be stuck in implementer land, what should you be focusing on instead? What should you be prioritizing? Yeah, exactly. And this is where the the challenge really comes in because there's all the things that are going on in your head. And generally speaking, they're all the things that are that you can just you think of them all the time because they are up in your head and they're just those are the things, right? And one of the best tools to handle not only prioritization but the sense of overwhelm that comes from thinking of all the things all the time is what we call the apocalypse list. It's a favorite tool of mine. I I like going, it's the apocalypse list. It's just, it's, there's something to it. The name comes from this idea of if there was an apocalypse, if, you know, everything were to go wrong at once, what would still need to be done? I've also heard you call it the lottery bus list, which is 
right? Because uh, we don't want to talk about someone getting hit by a real bus. That just doesn't sound like a good thing to be putting out into the universe. But we want to be talking about maybe getting hit by the lottery bus. If someone were to get hit by a lottery bus on your team, for example, that's usually the context that we talk about this in. If they were to get hit by a lottery bus and they were going to maybe not work with you anymore, what would still have to get done? Would What would be the most urgent things that still have to happen? And it comes down to this idea that you have to pick no more than three things. And it, that's the really key piece is no more than three things that if nothing else got done the next day, you got those three things done. You don't have to feel, you don't get to feel guilty, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the other thing that comes up so often when time comes in. I was, again, just talking about this yesterday with one of our clients, the feeling of guilt that comes up because they're not able to get through all of the things. Mm-hmm. If you get those three things done, your day was successful and the business is going to continue to run because that's what you chose. Yeah. So let's actually go through this. And you do this for me sometimes, where I definitely am a person that gets into overwhelm. And mm-hmm. so the first thing that you always have me do in these situations, and the first thing that you have our clients do when they're feeling overwhelmed or when they're feeling like they don't know what to prioritize is write it all down. Yeah. Essentially brain dump everything that you can think of that still needs to be done. And this actually ends up becoming a living document in and of itself, because there will Mm -hmm. always be things that pop in your brain. It may happen at four o'clock in the morning. It may Mm -hmm. happen when you're in the shower. It may happen Mm -hmm. when you're on a Zoom call with another client, but things will always come up. And essentially you just want to keep putting them down on the list as they come up for you. Yeah. And this can be business related stuff. It can be personal life related stuff. It it needs to be all the stuff. You need to just have this massive list of all of the stuff so that you know what your options are to even start thinking about prioritizing. So I've made my list. I've done all of this thing, but now I need to turn it into an apocalypse list. How do I do that? It's actually a lot simpler than it might seem. You look at the list and so many people feel overwhelmed because there are just so many things. And you just ask yourself, what things absolutely have to happen And if they don't happen, then the apocalypse will happen. In some ways, actually, it's like the 80-20 rule, right? Like Mm -hmm. of that list, there's a whole bunch of stuff you could be doing, but probably only 20% of it is actually going to make a difference. Yeah. So I go through my list and I say, what do I actually need to do from this list or else the world ends if I don't? Yeah, exactly. And then, so that's where we say that's the end of the top three. That's the apocalypse list in and of itself. But where it dovetails in is by adding in and looking at your calendar and utilizing what we call time blocking. Well, it's not just what we call it. It's time blocking is well known out there. And it's that idea that basically you block in specific amounts of time on your calendar to do specific tasks. Okay, as you said, time blocking is a well-known phenomenon. Most people have probably heard of it. They've probably tried it, and they've decided it doesn't work for them. (laughs) Yep. And most (laughs) people have probably done it in a way that is, and I'm going to use this very intentionally, not kind to your future self. Yeah, okay. So let's actually talk about what time blocking done wrong looks like. So again, you coach a lot of clients through this. They say they've tried time blocking. Why hasn't it worked? What have they been doing wrong? So don't get me wrong. I know there are a number of people out there that are able to block out and plan every single moment of their day, the day before, the week before, or anything along those lines. 
I am not one of those people. And in fact, mm-hmm. I would go so far as to say the vast majority of people aren't going to be able to do that because it gets going back to that overwhelming thing. Inevitably, something comes up. You have to go answer the door for a delivery. Something happens and it will throw off your timing. And we don't have kids, but from what I understand, kids are the number one thing yes. that will cause that. Because if the kid starts puking, you can't say, sorry, honey, I can't help you until 4.30 because my time blocks are full until then. Family time starts at 4.30 and sorry, just deal with your own puke for a little while. Yeah, exactly. That is a rather interesting example, but you get the idea, <laughs> right? And so that that's one thing that becomes very difficult when it comes to time blocking because of that sense. And it, it, it ends up being, for a lot of people, and this comes up a lot in the conversations I have with clients, for a lot of people, it's one of those things of, I've tried time blocking, but as soon as I get over on something, it feels like there's no point in continuing mm-hmm. because I'm just not going to be able to meet anything else since I'm already late. Mm-hmm. What's the point? Yeah. And so how does the apocalypse list help with time blocking that? Well, the apocalypse list helps with time blocking because it is a small, well-defined list of things to look at. If you're doing your tasks and you did your brain dump the way that we described, your apocalypse list, those top three priorities, shouldn't take more than a day. Mm-hmm. Right? They are things to be done in that day. And as such, they should be small enough to fit into your day and still leave you the time to do the other things that you have to do in your day, have meetings, right? Mm -hmm. Or do client calls or go get groceries. Or deal with the fires that come up on a daily basis. Deal with the fires, exactly. And the big thing here when it comes to time blocking in the apocalypse list, and this kind of comes into uh, a bit of research about the human brain, right? Is that we can't expect our brain we're, we're not computers. We do not parallel process. We do not. Mm-hmm. We cannot do two things at once. Mm-hmm. And similarly, we can't expect our brain to be able to just drop one task and pick up another and work efficiently immediately. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen that way. Task switching isn't elegant for human brains. It takes, no. I think the research is what, 20 minutes or so to get back into yeah. its most efficient... 15 or 20 minutes or something, you know, that's why multitasking is a myth, essentially, is what you're talking about here, this idea that you can't actually multitask. And I think it, it it's so valuable because as you have suggested, so many people feel as though they are failing if they can't follow a strictly scheduled day. And it's so easy to beat ourselves up and to blame ourselves. And what I like about the apocalypse list and this approach to time blocking is, as you said, it's kind to your future self, right? If you want to think about it this way, if you still want to have that approach of like time blocking every block on your calendar, that's fine. Just make some of those blocks white space blocks where you don't have a task assigned to it, but instead it's time for you to deal with the things that come up because you know things are going to come up. And this is actually a big thing for our academy clients because I'll be honest, there is work that needs to be done in academy. It's not just to sit back and watch as everything changes around you without you doing stuff, right? Like you're going to have to spend a few hours a week working on your business to be able to make these structural changes that we're talking about. And that's, we know that's going to be a challenge for people because over the six or the eight or however many weeks that we're working with clients in Academy, 
it's a long enough time that things are going to come up. And so one of the things that we have to be supporting our clients with is saying from the beginning, when everyone's intentions are good, no one starts Academy intending to get behind. The question is, how can we plan for predictable things that are going to take us off the rails, right? How can we be kind to our future selves by saying, you know what? I know myself, I know my family, I know my business, and I can pretty much guarantee you that I'm going to have to spend at least two hours a week dealing with something that's come up unexpectedly. Exactly. That doesn't have to be reactive. You can put that time on your calendar. You can even go so far as to say, you know what? It usually happens on Friday because that's when the kids are off school sooner. Or even separately for me, I know that in, in a similar kind of vein, but slightly different, I know that my brain tends to wander in the late afternoon when I'm leading up to my end of my workday. And I have a harder time doing longer focused tasks at that point. So that's when I put my, I call them flex blocks Mm -hmm. that I deal with the things that come up and not just the things that come up because we, we don't want shiny objects, right? Shiny Mm -hmm. objects are one of the symptoms of having a time problem, but there are shorter tasks. There are micro tasks that still have to be done. You still have to check your email. You still have to go and do things that take less than half an hour, 15 minutes, even less. I try and block those in for the end of my day Mm -hmm. because that's when my brain is really ready and able to just do a whole bunch of little tasks and not worry about it. There's a really good book called The Power of Full Engagement, and it it's about this topic. Essentially, what it says is that the key isn't to manage time, it's to manage energy and mm-hmm. to really understand how we're going to use our energy to understand and, and recognize that you don't need to be going flat out all day, every day. And energy is key to how the day goes and how the time feels like it's progressing, right? Like it's mm. so fascinating. And time goes no matter how what happens, but how our energy is and how we approach time is what if impacts our feelings of time. And a really great example of that is actually another client of mine. She likes to do all of her creative heavy lifting work first thing in the morning, like before she even has breakfast. She wakes up. Before she has coffee? Before she has coffee. Whoa. I know. <laughs> I always right? do my creative tasks before I do coffee, so. Well, I'm not talking about me. So, no, hey. You're talking about what, clearly not you. We're talking about one of these clearly, clients. Anyways. Clearly not me. <laughs> but like, she's up 5.30, 6 o'clock, and by 7, she's doing creative writing. Mm-hmm. She's actually doing what she considers to be like, it's not that it's hard work, but it takes brain power. And that's the best time of day for her to do it because that's when she's Mm -hmm. got the most energy. On the flip side of the coin, right before lunch is a really low period for her, low energy period, because it's right before the break. And so again, like with me, that's where she has some flex time where she's checking email and she's getting back to the team, things like that. And Mm -hmm. so utilizing where your energy levels are day to day and knowing that rhythm for yourself really is very helpful as well. Yeah, I don't know if this is like the book recommendation episode for some reason, but the, <laughs> is it, what's it called? The Power of When, the book about chronotypes, yes. yeah. right? To know if you're a bear or a dolphin or a lion, or I don't remember what the third type was, fourth type was. But regardless, uh, I, I don't know how scientific that is. Maybe it's pseudoscientific, but I think Oof. we can... Uh, wolf, there we go. But we can all acknowledge that there are times of day when we have more energy or we have less energy. 
Speaking of times of day, though, there's one other challenge that often comes up for our clients. They've done their apocalypse list, they've done their prioritization, and they have time for fires that keep coming up, but that time often runs into off hours, time off work, when they're supposed to not be at work, and the client that we'll be doing the case study with next week has said that this next technique that we're going to be talking about is one of the biggest that has made an impact for you, for her rather. But Jill, this actually comes from something that you did at your last day job. And I want you to tell that story because it's pretty funny. So I had a really great friend at my last day job that she got into work. She lived a fair ways away from our workplace. And so she always got in really early to try and beat the rush of traffic. And so like she was in and starting work at 7 or 7.30, which meant that her day officially ended or should end at 3 or 3.30. She kept pushing that later and later. And she was talking... Especially because her day would end at 3 or 3.30, but the rest of the business, the rest of the team, the rest of the organization was still in full swing. So people would stop by her desk or she was still getting emails coming in. And it was like, it was midday for the rest of us. And for her, it was supposed to be end of her day. Yeah, exactly. And for a while there, we were joking about the fact that she didn't leave on time. And one of these days I would have to come over and escort her out. And I actually did that. I started to do that for her one day. I, it just, I got fed up. I was like, okay, I know you just need to go home. So I walked over to her desk and I locked her computer. I grabbed her bag and her coat and I put them on her lap and she had a rolling chair and I just took her. She was still in her chair, laughing her head off. And I took <laughs> her and I rolled her out the door and I stood in the doorway with the chair and I wouldn't let her back in. Yeah. So this is the Jill rolls people away from their desk story. But we've told this story to our clients and we've asked, how could you put this into place in your own life? And often it's, can you tell your spouse to make sure that they're checking in and making you walk away from your computer? You know, I know there's a lot of mindset coaches out there who would say, you know, this is a mind over matter thing. This is, you just need to be more disciplined. But the truth is that for many of us, it's easier to do things for others than it is to Mm -hmm. do them for ourselves. And I'm not saying that this is a long-term solution. None of the stuff actually that we talked about today is the long-term solution to your overwhelm or to you feeling like you have too much to do. For that, you need to put in these different systems and structures to be able to make that happen. But it doesn't hurt in the short term to leverage these other strategies to do things for other people that you maybe wouldn't or to ask others to do things so that you can do it for them that maybe you wouldn't do for yourself. And, you know, I know in this episode, we've been talking about the day to day a lot, but we just did quarterly planning with some of our clients and we were talking about, are they taking vacations? Are they taking time off? And one of the things that came out of that conversation is that the clients who happened to be there, many of them realized that they need to actually put a vacation policy in place for their team and expect their team to take time off because then they would put that responsibility on themselves to model that for their team members and to be able to have the team members say, hey, you told us that we were supposed to take at least one week off every quarter, but you haven't done that. And to create this situation where if you wouldn't do it for yourself, maybe you'll do it for someone else. Yeah, exactly. And we're talking here about the end of the day. 
But at the same time, this is essentially we're talking about a boundary, right? You're setting yourself a boundary of not working past X time and you're asking someone for help to maintain that boundary. But that's what time blocking is just in general, right? It's about setting and maintaining boundaries. And so if you're struggling at maintaining a boundary within the day, there's also methodologies very similar to what we talked about that you could utilize to help yourself manage your boundaries. A really great example is the fellow I was talking to yesterday. He has a swim hour at lunch, right? So he cannot work over lunch because he is going swimming, right? Brianne, you go for walks in the morning. The reason that started to work so well is because you have a walking buddy, mm-hmm. right? For me, my way of, of taking breaks is I am implemented tea time and I decided, for, I know, laugh it up. No, no, no. I'm just laughing because we started this episode talking about the time that it takes to make the perfect cup of coffee and tea. And I just find it really funny. That's the <laughs> example that you chose because that's how we started the episode. But, but continue on. Do your team Jill thing. For me, it's tea, right? And that's my opportunity to get up and take a break and get away from my desk. Work your day, work your time blocking in such that you have these opportunities to go do something for others or go do something for yourself that are taking you away from your desk and that you have to get up because then you have to respect that boundary. And that goes back to what we talked about very early on, which is that you need to have something to fill your time with. Because if your habit is just to fill the time with work and with more of the same, you will continue to do that. And that's where it's so important to figure out, am I going to fill my time with family stuff, with personal stuff, even at work? What am I going to spend my time doing instead so that I'm not just slipping down into the weeds? I'm not going and putting out all the fires. And that's something that as we go through the rest of the season, we'll talk more and more about those kinds of things in our case studies with our guests and in the episodes that we're doing as well. And it becomes really important. And you'll see this, as Brianna was saying, as we move through the the season, it becomes really important as you are really starting to look at and implement the structures to promote yourself in the business, because then you get to start looking at it from a, how much time am I spending as a manager versus how much time am I spending as an implementer? But we'll talk more about that later. I just wanted to drop that tidbit because it's a really big piece of this whole time puzzle. Yeah. So that's what we wanted to share with you today. The thing about time is that it's not about time. It's about priorities. It's about figuring out what your priorities are. Jill introduced you to the apocalypse list as a way of doing that. And then figuring out how to actually set yourself up so that you can work on those priorities while respecting that there will always be things that come up and that you have to deal with. You wanna set yourself up for success. And the only way we can set ourselves up for success is by having that opportunity in our calendars, in our minds, to give ourselves the space to be human. Yeah. Because we need that time. We can't expect ourselves, just like we, we can't expect our teams to be operating at a superhuman level. You need to be kind to your future self. And that's really what'll allow you to have the time to create the systemic and structural changes that you want, which ultimately will reduce the number of things on your to-do list so that you don't have as much to deal with and work through and prioritize in the first place. Exactly. 
So in our next episode, we're going to be actually talking to one of our clients about this exact same thing. Yeah, we're going to be talking with one of our clients as a case study. And the really cool thing is that we're recording this during tax season and she's an accountant. And so we're going to be talking about how she managed to apply these tactical things that we talked about today, as well as the structural things that we talked about in season one to be able to do things like podcast interviews in the middle of tax time and her work days on time and have the most seamless tax preparation time ever. I think it's going to be a great conversation in terms of just really practical examples. And I can't wait to have you join us for the next episode of the Visionary CEO Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, hosted and produced by Brian Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. For more information about anything you've heard on the show, visit us on the web at visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. You can keep the conversation going on social media too. Just use the hashtag Visionary CEO Podcast. This has been a Podcast Taxi radio production for the Visionary CEO Academy. Hey there, it's Jill. We just wanted to take a moment to let you know that everything we've been talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with our clients in the Visionary CEO Academy. Our programs and masterminds are some of the most advanced business leadership opportunities out there and are designed specifically to help strategists, coaches, and other online business owners like yourself scale your business to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, by keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more information and to get started. Can't wait to see you there.